After the Spino River attack, we find the Kirbys are happy and once again, all smiles, jokes, stories about tow truck drivers. He's putting the boat in the water and the trailer sank. The tow truck tried to pull us out and he got dragged in too. The truck driver wanted to knock my lights out. I miss fishing. They survived the Spinosaurus attack and walked away with only love in their hearts and smiles on their faces. Sure, they'll have some explaining to do about why Ben Hildebrand died stuck in a tree, but hey, they have Eric back, and that's the important thing. They make their way to the coast, and we get reinforcement of Alan's love and respect for Ellie. That lady you called. Hmm? Who is she? How do you know that she can help us? She was the one person I could always count on. I owe her a lot. Well, I don't think I ever told her that. You should. You hear that? The ocean! This is the moment when the group finally gets saved. Happy, they run through the jungle. But of course, right then, the raptor crew shows up. camera circles them, mimicking the raptor's movements. In what can only be described as an incredible blend of animatronics and CGI, the raptors form a circle around them. A female raptor moves closer, eyeing Mrs. Kirby. And since Paul is now a hero character willing to sacrifice his life for others, he steps forward. Get behind me. But the raptor isn't having any of that nonsense, and she gets real close, sniffing enough to confirm the eggs are here. Mrs. Kirby takes charge. Give me the eggs. Alan opens the bag and removes the eggs, but then he sees it, the resonating chamber. He hands the eggs over and grabs the cast. Fearing the raptors may decide to kill the humans, Ellen blows into the resonating chamber. The raptors appear confused. No, 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 no. Call for help. A dissatisfied Paul suggests a different note. And it works. The raptors carefully grab their eggs, wink at our heroes, and leave. Done. That's it. In what I consider to be brilliant or accidental writing, we get a climactic scene featuring a mother character in Mrs. Kirby, a character that arrived on the island to find her lost son, now confronting a female raptor that has been searching for her own children, her eggs. And one thing that most Jurassic fans seem to agree about JP3 is that the raptor designs are stunning. Even if you hate the film, there's a good chance you love the way they look. I'm John Rosengrant. I'm one of the owners of Legacy Effects. And on JP3, I was the um, animatronic supervisor for Stan Winston's studio. How involved were you in the actual design of the Raptors? 
I mean, they're they're very different in this film than all of the others. Yeah, I was involved with it, but uh, one of our longtime artists that had been involved with Raptors from day one, Chris Swift, helped to uh, come up with those paint schemes. I think with the males, it was, uh, you know, we went with those quills up on, yeah. on those and, and a brighter look, you know, taking something, a page out of the bird world, you know, where the males are sometimes more flamboyant than the females. So they were sort of black with red stripes on them. And then you had uh, the female, which was kind of a palish, whitish gray look. And, and so planar in, in some ways. But yes, the, the idea was that the raptors had evolved, you know, on this island. They, you know, weren't the same raptor, right. although raptor in uh, number two was different also than, uh, than the first one. But there was yeah. both. There was the, the male raptor in the second movie, I think, had more orange in him. And then the females looked the same as they did from the first film and then in three we just came up with a whole new raptor paint schemes but it was essentially the same molds and the same uh creatures that we had done before and we left the females very much like they were in the previous films but with the males we ended up putting a new appliances up on their heads and along with the quills and things you know a nod to all that stuff that was coming out about feathers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Was that design with the quills from you or was that coming from the director, Joe Johnston? I think it stemmed from, from Joe wanting, uh, you know, let's, let's do something. I mean, Chris facilitated it with the artwork and uh, ended up painting on the maquettes and, you know, got, got the sign off uh, from Joe. Yeah. Joe was very involved in, in all of that. There are moments that the animatronics just blend so well with the CGI. What did you learn by the time you got to JP3, like when it comes to the movement of the raptors, how to control them, like what what was the difference going into the third film? We learned was the T-Rex was actually easier to control once it was in place than the raptors were in the first movie with all of their cables and yeah. An old-fashioned way of doing it. So it got streamlined into like a... a it was cables that were hydraulically controlled. So it became uh, much more fluid. And when, when you had the telemetry device moving the head, neck, and basically parts of the body, then the arms were puppeteered. Then you had a, a tail moving around, but the tail now was even hydraulically motivated. It still took a lot of puppeteers to do it, but not nearly what it took on the first two movies. And it just the movement just became more fluid. I mean, those raptors were, were pretty great in uh, JP3. That whole scene with the egg was pretty, uh, pretty great, really great. My name is David Bonzingo, and uh, on Jurassic Park 3, I worked as a key artist in Stan Winston's studio, uh, making dinosaurs film. I specifically uh, worked on the Velociraptors. By the third film, we'd, like, we'd seen things, oh, well, this didn't really work, but this was a pain in the butt. And so we, we had made, the third film, I made the uh, pants, and they were, they were really nice. They were 
really, really quick for him to get in and out of. Um, it worked really well. Funny story is that one of the fabricators got assigned to help him to go to set with I don't know what the word is, but she has a phobia of feet. Don't know why, don't know where it came from, but she's a, she bare feet, like, scare, disgust and scare her. And the way on Jurassic 3 that we made the, the feet, in the previous iterations, uh, the, the raptor legs had shoes in them. And, you, and John would shimmy down inside and slip his feet into these shoes. On the third film, uh, by the third film, we realized the shoes always caused a problem because the, where John's feet would go in the raptor's foot, the raptor's foot was very, very narrow, and the shoes were always bulkier than that part of the raptor's foot. And so by eliminating the shoe, we could trim down the, the raptor foot and make it more like the intended sculpture. And so instead of, instead of putting a shoe in, we, uh, we got this technology prosthetic technology for they use for people who've had amputated limbs they basically make these they make custom silicone sleeves that would go over their you know amp, where, wherever their amputation was to fit them really really snugly well we basically sent jaw even though he's not, amp, not an amputee we sent him to this place and they made the same kind of thing for his feet so they were really low profile but they fit him perfectly but what it meant is that every day, Tamara, this poor woman who was horrified of feet, had he had to go in into these. John would get inside the legs, and then his bare feet would be sticking out, and she had to lube up his feet and put these, these fake shoes on. It was she told me literally it was the most horrifying job of her career. I'll tease her from time to time about that. Previously, I spoke with Dan from Dan's JP3 page, and many listeners know the impact the website had on Jurassic fans, especially in the months leading up to July 2001. I'm Lee Weston Sabo. I was a film critic for Bright Lights Film Journal for eight years. I currently make a YouTube show called Damn Books with Floyd Beaver, and I have been, I guess, an active member of the Jurassic Park community for 20 years specifically around Jurassic Park 3 but it's not my favorite movie in the series my favorite would be the first movie obviously but when you think back to 2001 discussing rumors for the film what's it going to be like what do you remember about that time period was the general excitement were you debating what were you debating and who were you debating it with I think if I remember most people and again this is 20 years ago over 20 years ago uh, I think most of the people in the community liked it when it came out. The only thing I remember a lot of people hating was the Spinosaurus killing the Tyrannosaurus. And everyone's like, well, it had to have been the baby Tyrannosaurus from the Lost World, which is why it couldn't, it wasn't fully grown. That's why it lost the fight. And there was like a bunch of stuff like that. And it's thinking back now, everyone was 12 years old, except for like three guys were eight or nine years older and had no idea the rest of us were 12 and they were arguing with us and then it's like 20 years later they're 39 and i'm still talking to some of them they're like 38 39 i'm 33 and they're like wait so that means 20 years ago you were like a little kid and i was in college and i was arguing with you do you remember your name on the website my username on there was ostromite and that's still the name i use on the discord server where the last about a dozen 
So all these years later, how do you look back on JP3? Like, what's your take on it? What do you really feel about the movie now that you're older? I joined Dan's JP3 page, which at the time definitely was the biggest JP3 uh, fan community, and it's still going. So it's also the longest lived one, although there's about a dozen active members right now. Most of them, I would say all of them, don't really even like the movie. And it's the only fan community I can think of that's built around a movie that they universally don't like. And I think it's because the first two movies set a standard that the third one didn't live up to. Because I just rewatched Jurassic Park 3 a couple days ago, and it feels like a $100 million direct-to-video sequel. It reminds me of, like, the RoboCop sequels or the Starship Troopers sequels. It's better than those, but where it's just kind of... It doesn't try to top the previous two movies. It just sort of does a little adventure story set in the same world. It feels like it should be a really low budget, like quiet thing, but then it has this massive budget. So the the problems with the script are out of sync with the quality of the visual effects and stuff. So it's a very strange movie. And I remember at the time I was not disappointed. Everyone else, I think over time, realized it wasn't as good as they wanted it to be because of all the hype around it. But especially with you know the sort of infamous stuff with the spinosaurus and stuff and once people got tired of arguing about whether that was good or bad i think everyone was just like well was that really what the movie was even about because the actual plot is about the velociraptor thing with the egg and stuff are you surprised that people might have a negative reaction to jp3 i'm surprised personally re-watching it that it's even among jurassic park fans that the movie's considered as bad as it is by a lot of people because i think it's fine. Like there, I think the worst part of the movie is maybe the first 15, 20 minutes where the right, there's a lot of really bad lines of dialogue. And I was rewatching, I was like, Oh man, is this worse than I think it is? But once they get to the Island, it's, there's a lot of good stuff. And I think the Velociraptor design in the movies is my favorite of the whole series. It's got a really good balance between that early reptilian look and what they actually look like in real life, which is feathered and stuff. Going into JP3, everyone knew the raptors were smart. But even the marketing for this film seemed to really focus on these raptors being extremely intelligent, more than we could imagine. You have these raptors that have been stalking the group for most of the film, finally having the heroes cornered. There's no escape. The only option is confrontation. The amount of trouble because of these eggs has not only caused some terrifying raptor chase scenes, but also the end of a great friendship with Billy. And along with that, it's easy to make the case that Billy might not have been so willing to sacrifice himself to save Eric had it not been for some need to redeem his mistake of stealing those eggs. Having the eggs in the bag acts as a body armor for these characters, which to me is a good thing. By the reveal of Billy actually having stolen the eggs, we get the realization that these characters aren't simply surviving because it's a movie, but mostly because the raptors want their eggs back and their intelligence dictates that immediately killing the humans might not be the best idea. The group watches the raptors leave, and we hear the sounds of propellers in the air. The heroes move quickly through the jungle and onto a beach. They stop as they see a man alone on the beach. Dr. Alec Brand? Thinking back to the first viewing of the film, I obviously instantly thought this was Mark Degler, and I still believe it somewhat resembles him and it's confusing to me why it wasn't him because I think they wanted it to be him. It's not too hard to imagine that at one point the script 
could have included Mark in this end sequence. We know he works with the State Department and deals with treaty law. Sure, Alan called Ellie, but Mark made it possible to rescue the group. In an earlier episode, I talked to Taylor Nichols and asked if he knew of any plans for Mark to be that character on the beach. They were still working on the script when we started shooting the movie. And I think that was a real problem for Joe because you know, he never knew exactly where everything was going to go. And he, he talked to me at one point about, you know, there's this chance that Mark will come back at the end of the, of the film and be in, you know, and, and help save the day of getting the, getting the people off the island. I mean, to, to not know how it was going to go and then to know that it might go, that I would come back and save the day because I was a CIA agent. And, and, I, and I would have liked to have uh, not only had a, had, a, had a bigger part, but just had more of an integral part, you know what I mean? As it was, uh, Mark is just kind of there as a foil for Sam at the beginning and, and all that. The crew enters the helicopter and we get the reveal that Billy isn't dead. Yes, he survived the brutal and bloody attack which had his character underwater for a decent amount of time. But hey, luckily he did find Grant's hat. Better rescue your hat. Grant, we need to go now. Oh yeah. Well, that's the important thing. So I've just kind of accepted that Billy is alive and that it's mostly because I wanted to see him return in a fourth film. As a story, it 100% makes more sense to have Billy stay dead I mean, his death had a huge impact on Grant and led to a change in character, so having that be just completely undone is still a bit jarring and disappointing, but in the end, hey, it's good for Billy. Once the group is all buckled in, we see a few pteranodons fly by. Where do you think they're going? I don't know, maybe just looking for new nesting grounds. There's a whole new world for them. I dare them to nest in Ian Oklahoma. Let's go home. It's not the best comedy and certainly not the best lines to end a film on, but the point is the Kirby's are a happy family flying off into the sunset. But what I find the most interesting is how the same moment could be played completely the opposite way. Because we're actually witnessing a horrifying sight. The pteranodons are loose, out of the aviary, no longer caged. And it's all because Mrs. Kirby didn't close the door. Edit out some of the dialogue, change the music, and you've got an ending that hints at future doom. These killing creatures are flying away from the island and making their way to civilization. This is not good. It's actually very, very not good. But with the sun setting, lots of smiles, and some upbeat Jurassic Park music, the heroes leave the island with military escort. All they have to do is properly explain to Ben Hildebrand's family why and how he died, and how he went on a vacation with a very much separated Mrs. Kirby, and yet she came back with a very happy Mr. Kirby. Just something to think about. I I don't know, maybe I think too much about things, but I like to imagine how that whole thing would go. Hi, Mr. and Mrs. Hildebrand. I'm the lady that was dating your son, and that man standing outside is Paul. 
As you may know, um, your son went parasailing with my son strapped to the front of him while being pulled from a boat illegally crossing into a restricted area near a dinosaur-filled island by a boat crew that is now most likely for sure dead or seriously injured. And they detached and landed on the island. How did my son die? Well, that's where things do get a bit unclear. From what we know, our son Eric detached and safely got away. But your son Ben was stuck in a tree, and yeah, he's dead now. F. How do you know for sure? We, me and my husband, was my ex-husband, it's complicated. We decided to impersonate some rich business people, hired mercenaries, wrote bad checks, kidnapped a paleontologist and a student, got on a plane, crashed on the island, found the parasail, gave it a tug, and your son's body swung down and smacked me in the face. I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. But he's definitely gone. I mean, he didn't have much left. Had to leave him. Honestly, if it weren't for his shredded Hawaiian shirt, it could have been anyone. I see. He did love those shirts. Well, thanks for telling me this. No problem. I see you're wearing a wedding ring. Did you two get married on your tropical vacation? Oh my. No, that's from Paul. We had to team up and survive to find our son and escape a pack of raptors after the paleontologist student stole the eggs. He did it with the best of intentions, though, and then I think somewhere around the Spino River attack, I realized I still love Paul. And honestly, by the time we were flying away on the chopper, we basically decided to be together again. Well, thank you for telling me this. I'm glad you found happiness in such a tragedy that will no doubt haunt me for the rest of my life. Yeah. So, what do we think of the ending for Jurassic Park 3? It does feel abrupt, and it does feel like we are about to experience one more dinosaur action set piece, but then it just ends. I've said this in previous episodes, but JP3 had incredible potential. If the film release date had been delayed a year, there is that real possibility of an additional action scene that would take place on the beach or in the air. For JP3 to fit with the other Jurassic films, it really does need it. I mean, I still love the film, but the ending is quick. The ending just happens and you want more, which is a good thing. I mean, looking at the runtime, the film was basically missing 30 minutes. That doesn't prevent me from loving the film. I mean, look at The Lost World. I might be too harsh on that film, but most of the time, I just kind of turn off the film once the characters leave the island. I mean, Nick Van Owen vanishes with no explanation. Kelly takes a nap, and Roland wraps up his character arc once he catches the T-Rex on the island. But hey, I really do like The Lost World, and... Unfortunately, there's not enough time to really talk about the third act of The Lost World versus JP3 and comparing the endings. I mean, there's positive and negatives to both. Artist, you had mentioned to me that there was a contest among the crew to think of an ending for JP3. We were putting a uh, contest out to the crew to come up with the ending for the movie because we had halfway through the movie we had really no idea where it was going to end and so as a little kind of a pep thing or whatever keep the crew morale you know we put out a campaign for all the crew to come up with what they thought might would be a good ending so there was some very interesting uh concepts that came out of that you know uh, none of them i think were ever actually used but it was just interesting to see where the crew uh, thought that, that the script should go and the ending should be. So that was fun, you know. Did you have an idea? Uh, no, I didn't. You know, I mean, 
you know, at that point, you just want to see what the crew, you know, it's more, was more, like I say, more for the crew's enjoyment. And, you know, so most of us stayed, what I consider above the line, we stayed out of it so that the crew could, you know, yeah. come feel free to, you know, we didn't say, oh, well, you, we knew you would pick his anyway, because he's the writer, you know, or whatever, you know. <laughs> So, you know, with me, you know, say on a movie, there's above the line and below the line. And then I am the line because the crew thinks I'm above the line and the above the line thinks I'm the crew. So I'm kind of, you know, the go between for both. So I'd love to say a few of them, but I'm afraid that they might in the future put one of those in. (laughs) You never know, you know what I mean? That's true. There was some really cool ones, but you think, well, there's surely they're probably thinking about, you know, because there were uh, several responses to some of them that they said, oh, great idea. And we had been thinking along those lines or, you know, what what an interesting concept. So, you know, uh, even though they weren't used at that particular moment, it doesn't mean that they won't pop up sometime in the franchise's history or life. Brad, you're a Jurassic expert, host of the Jurassic Park podcast. Let's talk about the JP3 ending. Oh, what comes to mind? It doesn't feel right. I mean, it still doesn't feel right to this day. Um, you have an amazing sequence right before that. You know, right before the the cavalry shows up, and and it's like. It feels like there was supposed to be more, and I, and I can appreciate the ending of this movie because it has similar vibes to like the end of the first novel with helicopters and like military showing up to save the day. Um, so it feels very similar in that in that nature there. But I just I don't like it. Again, it's it kind of harkens back to the beginning of the movie. The middle portion is really really good. There's a lot of fun in there, but then that that very very ending feels again it kind of feels a little corny to me because. The Jurassic Park theme played in this militaristic style doesn't work for me at all. The guy on the beach just saying like Dr. Grant, like I'm like I don't like that at all. Um, but it's it's a, it's a strange ending and it it happens so fast and and you're right like you you kind of experience it and and once you get to the end of that that moment you're like oh it's done? What? Like that doesn't feel that doesn't feel right. It feels like there's supposed to be more, you know? Tom, do you think the film ended too quickly? In some ways, that maybe made it a little bit more impactful. Because obviously, you're, you're kind of sat there, and this is right at the moment where the Velociraptor pack have turned up. So you're kind of thinking, okay, these guys are in real trouble here. If this doesn't work out, they're probably going to get eaten. Um, but I think the abrupt sort of response there kind of goes against audience expectations in a way in a good way because obviously you're thinking oh there's dinosaurs here there must be another big set piece that's going to play out so then to just suddenly have them turn up and sort of take control of the situation um is really really interesting and it's interesting when you think about it in the context of the original jurassic park novel as well and as part of the novel it's actually a moment where the group um i think it's grant sattler and gennaro are observing some velociraptors on the beach and they're kind of watching them in this natural behavior and then suddenly the military turn up and call, cause them to run away and then everything kind of escalates very quickly it does 
thinking about it from that sort of standpoint feel almost like a really nice meta homage to the novel. And I'm not sure if that was deliberate or not, but it's certainly, you know, having raptors on a beach and then having the military turn up. It's very, very similar to that. If you could somehow go back and add an extra action scene to the end of JP3, what would you have wanted to see? I think it would have been cool maybe seeing like the army arriving and clashing with the dinosaurs a little bit. So maybe you have like this bravado where obviously because they're technologically advanced, they've got um, APCs, they've got helicopters. Maybe they kind of make the same mistake that the hunters make in the Lost World and think that they can dominate the island. And then you sort of have a bit of back and forth between them and the ecosystem and eventually get to the point like in... um the novel where the army are like, ah, we can't afford this, we're just going to bomb everything. That would have been quite cool to see, because then you kind of get that sort of that core Jurassic concept, I suppose, that's present everywhere, which is this idea that humanity thinks that it can conquer nature and it can overtake it with all of its technological advances. But actually, even with those advantages, nature always triumphs in the end. That would have been cool to see. And you can find Tom on Twitter at Tom underscore Jurassic. My name is Jack. I, I guess I'm known in the community. I run Jurassic Outpost, so I, I founded that and ran that with a bunch of guys. Uh, we have a really great team over there. Um, and funnily enough, luckily now I'm working on the Beyond the Gates show with uh, with Chris Pugh. So we do that, which is like a, an unveiling of the upcoming Mattel Jurassic toys, uh, which is a great experience. I've heard plenty of rumors about what the JP3 ending could have been. Have you ever come across anybody that's talked about like what it possibly was or different rumors? What what have you learned about the JP3 ending? I think I asked Shelley. I can't remember if it was in the interview with him or if it was in our like off the record chat, but we I asked him about like the ending and he said he remembers the helicopters atta- being attacked by the Pteranodon and things like that. But he's like we never shot any of it. Like nothing was ever shot like that. And then he recalled there being an ending or there being a scene where raptors attack the Spinosaurus. And okay. I'm not sure if you've heard that from anyone you discussed, or you've discussed it with. I don't so think so. So it was, I swear it came from originally from a piece of concept art, or maybe it was like from a leak or something. But when I mentioned it to Shelley, he was like, yeah, that does ring. There's something, whether he saw something in the production office or something like that. So, yeah, it is sad with JP3. There is no real third act. There's no real, like, ending. It does kind of just, like, they're rescued and it's done. My name is Bry, and I am the host of the Neo Jurassic Podcast. I, I was an obsessive Jurassic fan then, like I am now. So I was just, like, reading on the internet all day every day waiting for Jurassic Park 3 news until it came out and just obsessively reading rumors and spoilers and all this stuff in the early 2001 um, before the movie and I think I don't know if the junior novelization had come out by then or if it was like a comic book or a series of trading cards or something but I remember there being um, a mention of like a showdown between the raptors and the pteranodons at the very end of Jurassic Park 3 and so I thought I spoiled myself knowing that at the end, the raptors would, you know, have a showdown with the pteranodons and then, you know, the humans would, you know, scamper off to safety at, at the end and, you know, you know, it would have like more of like a Jurassic Park uh, ending, you know, something like a grand finale, so to speak. So 
when the movie ended <laughs> and the Raptors just kind of like shrugged and shuffled off and then, you know, they heard some dude on a beach with a megaphone. I was waiting for the Tranodons. I'm like, okay, they're going to show up any second now. And, you know, it's, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. And then they get in the plane and they take off and I'm like, I know they're coming. I know what's happening. And then, you know, they show up in, outside the window and Tay Leone threatens them to come to Enid, Oklahoma. And um, yeah, they just decide to leave the Raptors altogether. And I guess head for the Midwest. You know, it's, it, I, I was shocked and confused. I, I didn't understand what had just happened. I'm like, the movie's over? <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can physically feel like just how um, unbalanced the film was. You know what I mean? Because like you have the moment with the Spinosaurus and the fire and the, the uh, why is my mind blanking on what that's called now? The crane, the crane, the crane, the Spinosaurus and the crane. So like, you know, you had that moment. I'm like, okay, the Spinosaurus again shuffles off after some fire and then the Raptors show up and, you know, you think something's going to happen there. And it's just kind of like a tense moment where they just hand the eggs to them and then it's over. You really can, at least for me, having seen so many movies throughout my life, just feel this like. Like a, like a dramatic limb that isn't there, you know, like like when you someone gets their arm blown off and you can feel the arm there, but it's not there. That's kind of what I feel for Jurassic Park 3 every time I watch it. I feel like there's some blown off finale <laughs> that I can kind of feel uh, somewhere, uh, but it's not there. It's not really here. I'm Charles Hood. Uh, I'm a director. Uh, I did uh, a movie called Night Owls that I directed and co-wrote, and then I directed this uh, Hulu Blumhouse movie called A Nasty Piece of Work. And I'm also the co-host of uh, the podcast Light the Fuse, which is about all things Mission Impossible. Do you remember the first time you saw JP3? That was the summer before I went to college, and it was like every week that summer my friends and I were going to see the movies. We we had befriended the the movie the local movie theater manager at the like the multiplex in our town in Connecticut, and we would go, and he would he would do like a test run of each movie every Wednesday night before it came out. So every week we were seeing the the the, the big summer movie of of that year, whatever it was like Rush Hour Two and uh, what AI and whatever else was that summer, um, and uh, that that one. Um, was just so much fun. I mean, I just, I, I had such a blast watching Jurassic Park three. I think it's just such a fun thrill ride of a Jurassic Park. I feel like it's everything you want from a Jurassic Park sequel, at least everything I want from a Jurassic Park sequel. Cause it's just like a 90 minute dino adventure and it's not trying to be anything more than that. And, um, I think so many of the other sequels are, are blowed. I mean, lost world has so many incredible sequences in it, but they're all like, very long, like drawn out, and and I think Jurassic Park three just kind of just gets in and gets out and gets gives you what you want, at least what I want. And what about your thoughts on the ending? Was it what you expected? Yeah, I think I had read some, had read somewhere that, and I must have misread it, but I I, I had like read some test screening review or something. I was, you know, when I when I was before I saw the movie, and. There was, I thought there was, I had, for some reason I was under the interpretation there was going to be a rematch of the T-Rex versus the Spinosaurus, and that was going to be the finale. I don't know, I got that idea in my head, I think it must have been because I misread it somewhere or, or just assumed it, or or maybe I just felt that when I watched the movie, and so I was disappointed the first time I saw it, that that didn't happen. They kind of ended it with the little finale with the raptors, and then it was over. So yeah, I mean, it definitely, it felt like a... Um, 
a little uh, disappointing the first time I saw it. But in in repeat viewings, I'm I don't it doesn't really bother me. I mean, the the movie has such a um, I feel like they were course correcting from Lost World because Lost World made the Raptors so stupid. It's like really frustrating to watch sometimes. I mean, I, lo- I actually love some parts of Lost World and have really come around to that movie a lot. Um, and one thing that's just hard, though, to, to, to stomach in that movie when you watch is just how stupid the raptors are and how incompetent they can be and, and how easily they fool them. So in the, I feel like they're course-correcting in Jurassic Park 3 and they make the raptors incredibly smart. So now they're like, they're even speaking and that's the whole kind of, uh, you know, uh, through the whole movie, there's a, a from the very beginning, they're, they're setting up this idea of how smart raptors are and the way they, they can communicate with each other and that's... They're like exploring this theory of raptor communication and throughout the movie. What are your thoughts on Billy surviving? Uh, I mean, for me, I I, I, I ship Alan and, and, and Alessandro Navarro's characters, so I'm happy to have them be reunited at the end. Um, and also he rescues Grant's hat too, right? So, I mean, that's an important thing that had to happen. I Yeah, I don't, I don't mind it. I don't have any problem with it. I mean, I think... Um, it would be pretty dark and, 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 and sad to have him go the way he did. Although that shot is one of the best shots in the movie when, uh, you know, it's like panning down the, uh, panning down the river, um, as he's, he's getting pulled down the river and getting attacked. And then it does that incredible rack focus to the, to the pteranodon in the, in the foreground, looking back at you. You're like, Oh my God. Oh God. That's just such an incredible moment. So, I mean, it would be, it would be very dark and you know, I, I guess I could go either way, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy for Grant and I want him to have his buddy, so. Lee, you've been a Jurassic fan for decades and you still communicate with people on Dan's JP3 page. So, you know, looking back all those years later, how does the ending hold up? When I remember being in the drive-in, when that guy is standing there with the megaphone or whatever, and they're like, oh, she sent the Navy and the Marines. And I'm like, okay. Now this is going to be the climax of the movie where a bunch of dinosaurs are going to rush out of the jungle or something. The Mosasaurus or whatever they were implying was in the water that killed the guys on the boat. It's not clear if that was supposed to be the Spinosaurus or something else or what. Then they just leave and it was like, oh. And then the Tranodons, I'm like, are they going to attack the helicopter? No? Okay. It's just like the Pelicans at the end of the first movie. All right, I guess the movie's over. It's like 84 minutes or however long the movie is. It's like, it's pretty short. Hello, I'm Lydia Laws. I'm a music publicist and a massive Jurassic Park fan ever since I saw the first one when I was about seven. Lydia, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Very excited to talk to you. Oh my God, I'm so buzzing to be on the pod. Like, so buzzing, honestly, thank you. To sum up your thoughts, how would you describe JP3? And what's your view on the ending of the film? It depends what you want from your films, doesn't it? But for me, it like takes all the boxes of a good dinosaur film, like straight in the action, really great, like really great suspense, some really, I was going to say some really good deaths, you know what I mean? Like some really like good like scenes of like, oh my God, what's going on? Um, and yeah, obviously the end does let it down, I think. But also, I mean, I don't know. In a way, it's kind of like, well, like the end is ridiculous. But also, I don't really know how it could have ended differently. I guess they could have just extended the ending a little bit with the same kind of storyline, just so it was a bit 
like more wrapped up but then you're kind of just making the film longer so in a way it's like well I kind of get it do you know what I mean and what are your thoughts on Billy surviving yeah do you know what I think it's fine he's I think it's good he survived because it was like he's a nice guy you know he made a mistake but then he also kind of made up for that by sacrificing himself and he did it for the greater good. I, I think it was fine. I think it was fine. He survived. But it, it didn't make sense. But I was also like, no, oh, okay, great. You know, we'll accept it. I'm glad that Billy survived. I love the guy. I just look at the ending and see how happy everyone is. And that complete disregard for the fact that Ben is dead. Yeah, like, nobody cares that Ben's dead. How Billy gets from, like we think he's dead to like being on the helicopter and it's like i'm sorry how did this happen because billy was pretty injured enough to where we think he's actually dead but he's alive so that means he literally had to survive for i mean maybe 12 15 hours not really sure the aviary sequence is in daylight and the beach scene is in daylight, but there's a spinal river attack in between at night. Oh my gosh, yeah, the timing. Good so point. So we're talking Billy had to survive on his own in the jungle while critically injured for at least 12 hours, unless we're to think the army had showed up earlier. I mean, that's a movie I'd love to see. That should be a spinoff. Yeah, I feel like they could win awards for some sort of like weird kind of abstract movie of like him just kind of dragging himself through the jungle. You can find Lydia on Instagram at Lydia English Rose. Hello, I'm Brad, uh, co-host of the Jurassic Minutes podcast, taking on the franchise minute by minute after Kyle and Brody. I wasn't old enough to see Jurassic Park uh, when it came out in 93, but did get to well, well, uh, wear out that VHS tape before uh, The Lost World finally coming out and me, um, me love of the franchise was really cemented with that film. What can you tell us about that first JP3 viewing experience? I can't recall the reaction to seeing it. I think the first real reaction was when once uh, Facebook, internet sort of come come to home. Uh, I was a late, late adopter. It would have been 2007, 2006 when I finally got Facebook and that and just so, started seeing... Uh, some of the fan backlash to the film. Um, even to this date, I, I don't see the issue. I, I know the issues are there that a lot of fans have with it, uh, T-Rex spine thing. But going through now and learning, knowing what I do about production, all that sort of thing, I don't really, I don't hate as much as some fans do. And and just being exposed to that online, um, because not really having a circle of friends, you might have a couple of work colleagues. Oh, yeah, went and seen that new dinosaur movie or whatever else, and that's about where the conversation stops. But um, actually, yeah, getting online and seeing what what real fans, what uh, other Jurassic Park fans thought of the third film, um, I do remember that. Do you have a favorite scene in the film, or is there something about the film that you just simply love? Personally, I'm I've always been a fan of the buildings in Jen's. Uh, facilities construction that sort of thing as i mentioned before drawing my own version of the worker village from the lost world and going into Jurassic park free just not really realizing at the time that we'd got the repurposed operations building into embryonics administration building but just the whole the whole sequence in the lab in the kennels in the hatchery um learning from the junior junior novelization and other scripts that 
there was actually going to be an overnight stay in the lab before the raptor attack and then uh eric's water truck was going to be in a construction yard at the back all these things we can see from the new uh the new uh rendered uh, cg art that was done for the visual history book learning so much more about uh the compound all that sort of stuff and yeah the, the, the whole compound stuff's where where my love is <laughs> for action scenes and what did you want for the ending of the film looking at sort of novelization scripts all that sort of stuff that's come out the other stuff that was planned um the vote the voice uh vocalization chamber coming back for the raptors and grant using that to summon or try and get the raptors in his last ditch effort to save themselves from the spinosaur something like that would have been fantastic they had um harbor slash uh, marina infrastructure built in the background that they could have extended the set more than just what we've seen on the on the barge and in the pool um, that you can see in behind the scenes video on that that river sequence should have been a lot bigger as the as the finale bring the raptors back then um have the have the, the survivors barely get away and then in the morning we're on the uh, beach and here's the helicopters coming what's interesting to me is that the spino is such an essential part of the film but when watching for the first time you don't get the sense that the river attack is the last time you'll see it yeah it just grant fires the flare at the spinosaur and it sort of just lumbers off uh and that's it for the spinosaur and then we get the the, the raptors come in as a little bit of a last minute um the last minute will they get free will they get off the island or not especially once they hear the helicopter and i have to ask should billy have survived <laughs> well that 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 too billy billy should not have survived i think for his um character arc he um he probably should have <laughs> succumbed to the train of dons then and My name is Alyssa Miller. I'm a writer at No Film School. And I just, I grew up loving horror and loving Jurassic Park. And I think it's one of the very few creature features that I can <laughs> stomach and really enjoy for what it is and what it's bringing to the table. So you wrote an article for No Film School called Jurassic Park 3 shows us how to make a great standalone franchise sequel. Share with us some insight into what went into making this article. We were all just kind of chatting at O Film School about writing about one of our favorite um, films from the franchise. And I chimed in, I'm like, oh, I love Jurassic Park 3. And everybody like just came at me in a way they were like, oh, really? That's an interesting choice. And I was like, okay, well, here, let me tell you why. For me, I think it's one of the more horrifying installments to the franchise. It's scary, but it's also very like, family-friendly scary. And as a sequel, I think it works very well on its own. So like, you don't have to watch all the other movies to understand what is happening in Jurassic Park 3. You can literally just sit down and be like, who's that? And they go, this is Dr. Alan Grant. He works with dinosaurs and he does not like Jurassic Park because uh, he was traumatized. And they tell you that. And I love that. Like, you don't have to do any work before you sit down. which I really appreciate from, you know, a lazy standpoint. So what was the goal of the article? Was it just like to highlight the positives of the film? I think I was really trying to break down what it is people do not like about it. Cause I thought everybody loved it. I was so shocked. I was like, you guys don't love Jurassic Park 3? I'm confused. And they're like, it's the CGI. I'm like, mm, okay, well let's look at Phantom Menace and like the whole Star Wars prequels. Cause that was, that was awful CGI. 
But I mean, if you look past like, you know, some of the fundamental like pitfalls of JP3, it's this kitsch horror kind of genre where it's fun terror, it's a bit campy, it's a bit excessive, and it knows exactly what it's trying to be, and it's not shying away from that at all. And a lot of people have a problem with that because they want something that has a deeper meaning. And especially when you're looking at like the original Jurassic Park, it was kind of philosophical. It was, um, it gave you a lot to chew on. And Jurassic Park 3 does not do that. <laughs> it's very much like, here you go, enjoy. And you can either actually enjoy it or it can be critical and be a grumpy pants about it. Be like, well, it's so surface level. Like, what's the point? That's the point. It's surface level. And what are your thoughts on the ending? Too quick? Too happy? The fact that it's a happy ending, I think, works for me. Like, it does not upset me whatsoever. It's what we're expecting. We're expecting survival. We're expecting kind of riding off into the sunset. And then you get the, um, they're not called pterodactyls. What are they called? The pteranodons. They're flying with the helicopters into, like, the actual real world. That's so exciting. That is so fun. And that gives you potential to bring the dinosaurs into the real world, which is what they should have done when they brought in Jurassic World, but they just kind of scrapped that completely. There is so much potential that uh, the ending of JP3 left. What does it mean to the franchise, or maybe how would you describe it to a friend that hasn't seen it? It's a good rainy day movie, or like a lazy Sunday movie, where you're just like, I kind of want to watch Jurassic Park, and then you go, well, Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> yes. Because for me, like, JP2 does not exist. Like, I think I maybe watched it once, and then I tried rewatching it the other night, and I was like, I'm really bored, and I just turned it off. But, like, if I if I sit down to watch JP3, like, actually watch down, I'm having a good time. It's a guaranteed good time every time you oh, watch it. guaranteed. And you can just, like, yell at the screen. Like, I want to go to a midnight screening of JP3. Like, that's how that fun it fun. is. Yeah, midnight showing with, like, true JP3 fans. I can't even imagine the crowd reacting to seeing Cooper on the runway. That is my favorite death of the entire franchise. It's so, it's so well played because he just comes out of the wood. He's crying. He's like, please let me on the plane. Like, I'm going to die. That's how you know what kind of movie this is. Um, my name is Doug Meerdink. Um, I worked uh, as an art director on Jurassic Park 3. Do you have any insight you can share about the ending? I'd say late uh, entries into the script was the, the finale and quite how, how that would quite play out. And some of that was up in the air because at the time, um, uh, the production was trying to solicit help from the Department of Defense to be able to uh, portray and also ideally use equipment from and personnel from uh, the military in the final sequence and that that approval came late in you know it, while we were in shooting and while we were in production so because that came so late the story couldn't quite be written with that in mind uh, until they had that approval and at the time as i recall you know it, it went up it, this was the kind of rumored to us that the the conversation went as high up as uh Mr. Spielberg and at the time, uh, President Clinton. So, um, so whether that it went up that high in the chain of command, I don't really know, but that was the, that's a fun, fun thing to, to presume. But because of that, um, again, I was in Hawaii. It, 
it's sort of then shifted to a few of us, myself, the location manager, Ed, of course, and um, our uh, unit production manager to very quickly secure what we needed from the military, give that ask in terms of vehicles, which included amphibious vehicles that would that would um, kind of charge the bay in Kauai, uh, where we shot that, and also um, helicopters, um, which we were a couple of, as I remember, I believe Pavehawk or, or Seahawk uh, helicopters, and then military personnel. So we, we were able to get, a, a, I think, a, a hundred or so military extras to act in that, that scene, that sort of final scene of saving the group. Was there talk of a pteranodon attack? It was. It was definitely talk about it. There might have even been on the page uh, that, and I'm sure there was some development of that and, and, and I'm sure storyboards to that effect. Um, I think they decided that, uh, you know, that would have been an additional ending to the ending of um, our heroes being saved. And, and uh, so it, they, um, they didn't include that. I think, I think at the end in uh, the Jurassic um, franchise, you know, the notion of sort of what's going to be the pass off to the next film potentially. And, and so the notion of pteranodons uh, um, having a presence there may have been at some point the uh, notion of, okay, how do we, how do we end this in a way that we can then pick it up in the next one? That's my kind of speculation. Ed, as production designer of JP3, can you tell us anything about the ending of the film that didn't happen? There's that scene. Has to hand the raptor eggs back to the mother raptor, or back to the head raptor. And then they come around the corner, and now they're at a beach. And that literally, that scene, we, we changed stage 12, so they did that scene on stage 12. They go around the corner, and now they're back on Kauai, on the North Shore over by Princeville. And uh, the Navy was going to be doing some fleet operations over off that island that week. And so we worked out a deal with the Navy where they said, you have to be ready any day we're going to come ashore with these big, these big, you know, armored amphibious attack vehicles. And if you can be ready on a moment's notice, you know, we'll let you know on the day and just get your cameras there and, you know, film them. And so that's what they did. And so one of the versions was going to be that the Navy was going to come ashore and they were going to like blow the shit out of all the dinosaurs that were attacking our, our, our heroes. And uh, the whole thing with coming around to being able to hand the eggs back and have some kind of a moment of peace between the humans and the raptors was the solution because we all said, no, there's no way – there's no way the Department of Defense is going to let us use any of their um, stuff if we're depicting the Navy and the Marines as killing, <laughs> you know, killing dinosaurs with missiles and stuff like that. So, but you know, that's you know, it's it's funny. Some sometimes the kind of uh, um, you know changes that uh, a script goes through until you get it right. My name is James Mottram. Uh, I'm a, well, basically I'm a film journalist and have been for about 25 years. I've written quite a few books before I came to the Jurassic universe. For Insight edition to who published the Jurassic 
Park Ultimate Visual History. I previously did two books for them, one on Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk and one on Tenet and also Die Hard, A Visual History. So that's quite similar to the Jurassic Park book uh, in that it's lots of concept art and photographs and, and costume designs, all that kind of stuff. So how did this book come about? Like what led to the making of this visual history book? Basically, I consider it my, my lockdown project because I just finished the, the Tenet book and obviously everything was shutting down. Cinemas were shutting down. My, my basic work was being torpedoed left, right and center. And I said to the editor, well, if you've got anything, any other suggestions, now's the time to mention them because obviously I've got time on my hands. And he said, what do you think about Jurassic Park? Uh, and immediately I kind of jumped at it. Do you recall seeing JP3 for the first time? You won't like this, but well, I saw I saw Jurassic Park three in a hotel in a hotel bedroom. You know, on, on kind of like a you know they used to have like an on demand sort of yeah. service in hotels. I was somewhere in the states doing something, and it was just on. I don't know why I didn't see it on the big screen. Uh, I can't remember why that. I, I, I'm sure I would have been invited to a press screening, but I just don't remember why that that didn't happen. What was the research process like? What did you look at? Well, it's the very first step was to watch all well five available films kind of back to back just to remind myself of them get back into the jurassic mood uh i read the Crichton novels as well uh absolutely loved the lost world novel because that it is too. quite different yeah, it's quite different to the um uh to the film and you know the lewis dodgson character in that book is is fantastic so really enjoyed those um and then it's a sort of slow process of, and you'll know this from obviously having done your podcast and getting in touch with people, wanting them to, to, to chat. Um, it, you know, it's a slow process because I think we started with a few people that we knew. Um, I think my editor, had, he, he'd had quite a lot of, to do with ILM from other books that he'd worked on. So we had some contacts there. So Dennis Murin and Phil Tippett, they came quite early in the process. Um, getting to actors is always difficult. Um, you know, they've got publicists, they've got managers, they've got agents. And, it, you know, you just have to sort of show that this is a serious book. It, it, this is obviously um, approved by Amblin and Universal. So there's a reason for them to trust you. But, it, you know, sometimes they want to know that this is their, their teams. They want to know who else is speaking you know, for the book. They wanted to know it's just a proper project, which is completely understandable. And did you read the Peter Buckman draft? So th that was like finding, I don't know, it was like finding lost treasure or something. Um, it, because you, we've all heard rumors of what that draft contained, but to, to finally read it was fantastic. I mean, and it's not, it's in no way is it a bad uh, a bad script. It's perhaps a little unwieldy, and and obviously Jurassic Park three, the, the finished film, is a simplified version, and you can see exactly why they did that. Um, but yeah, that that was my favourite part, the whole process, I think, of, of doing that book. It, this was in an early draft of the book, and then it got cut. But there's a book I'm now trying to find it. Um, yeah, it's called Operation Hollywood. How the Pentagon uh, shapes and censors. Hang on, I'm just bringing up the full title. Uh, yeah, how the Pentagon shapes and censors the movies. Have you heard of that or read that book? No, never. No. So, 
there's a chapter on Jurassic Park three, basically in that book. Oh, really? Yeah, and I um I quoted that uh book in the early draft of the chapter. It then got it then got cut, basically. So there's no mention of that in the in the in the manual in the book you would have read. But um yeah, so th- this this was all about uh in the case of Jurassic Park three. Uh, I mean, you'll know from having read the Buckman draft that it it finishes with those A10 fighter jets coming over to sort of bomb the island. I think you'll know from reading the my finished chapter in the book that Larry Franco, the producer, had had chats with the, I think it's the Department of Defense, a guy called Phil Strub, I think his name is, who who is sort of in charge of liaising with movie, movie producers. And, uh, you know, they looked at the script and didn't like the idea that these these uh, fighter jets were bombing dinosaurs because it doesn't look very good on the US military, obviously. Um, and anyway, this 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 book, Operation Hollywood, goes into that a lot more. It talks about letters that were sent to uh, between um, the military and and the Jurassic Park three team. I, yeah, I just thought you'd probably be interested to know that because uh, you should dig it out because it's it goes into that a little more. Unfortunately, we didn't really have the space in the book to go into that but it's yeah, it's, it's a fascinating look at um uh again some of the backstory to to the film to me it's so interesting the changes they made from that draft to the final film like something's very subtle but i mean overall like the idea of grant staying behind to me is like it's amazing i love that too that's yeah. an, i think that's a fantastic idea and uh you know it ties back into that early idea that Spielberg had of a sort of Robinson Crusoe style idea of, of Grant living on uh, Isla Sauna. Uh, yeah, I, I wish that, that they'd done that on some level. But um, yeah, I, I think <clears throat> you asking earlier about how I started the process. So I, I mentioned having to, I watched all five available films. When I saw Jurassic Park 3 again, uh, I was watching it with my partner and we were we were sitting and I don't think she'd seen it before and we we sat down and, and watched it and got to the end and we were like oh man that ending because I, I think what leads up to it in the in this simplified version where they're, they're just heading to Isla Sauna there are some of the best scenes of the franchise the the Pteranodon scenes in the Avery are fantastic yeah. um uh, I love uh, Eric as a character, Trevor Morgan's character. I think he, you know, this idea this kid has survived somehow on the island. I think that works quite well. Um, the, the, the obviously the Spinosaurus is an incredible dinosaur. I think it's pretty ballsy to have him take down the T Rex. That the plane crash is just a brilliant piece of filmmaking. You know, there's there's nothing. It's a really pure adrenaline shot of a movie, Jurassic Park Three. It's just that ending is like, oh man, you can see where the struggle came from and how they were running against the clock to, to, to work out a proper ending. And it, it's, it just wraps it up all too horribly neatly and not in a very satisfying way at yeah. all. The JP Ultimate Visual History book is available now. A visual history of the Jurassic World films is available fall of 2022. Now, there is a script for JP3, which you can find on the download section of JurassicOutpost.com. It's undated, but it's credited to Peter Buckman, Jim Taylor, Alexander Payne, and John August. John August was actually nice enough to respond to my emails, 
but he declined to be a part of the podcast as he wasn't the main writer and didn't want to discuss without the others. This undated draft is very similar to the final product, with the exception of a few major things that caught my attention. Dr. Grant discovers he's been carrying the eggs in the bag around the halfway point, surrounded by raptors just before Eric shows up. One egg is already broken. The other is given back to the raptors at that point. Number two, the spinal river attack shows a proper end to the spino. With our heroes in trouble, Grant brings out the raptor resonating chamber and calls a pack of raptors over to the river. They attack and kill the spino. Three, the group walks onto the beach. Grant, sensing danger, tells Eric to stay back with his parents. Grant spots the boat from the opening scene and examines the slash marks. He measures them with his hand and realizes the group is in danger. At the same time, rescue choppers arrive. Grant yells for them to stay back as he spots 20 or so pteranodons in the trees. As you can imagine, one of the choppers crashes. Amanda, Eric, and Paul get onto the other chopper and it takes off without Grant. Paul drops down a ladder and Grant jumps onto it, all while a pteranodon attacks him. In this version, Billy stays dead, but the rest of our heroes, they escape. It's basically everything you expected to happen in the third act of JP3. In the actual film, we just get the very simplified version. So we have the ending of the actual film, the ending of an undated draft, the ending of the draft or treatment that I read in the last episode, dated April 2000. I was sent some information about a draft dated September 2000 with a very different ending. Hi guys, uh, my name is Anthony Feliciano. I'm a filmmaker and I'm also a gigantic Jurassic Park 3 fan. You recently shared with me some information about a JP3 script dated September 2000 by Peter Buckman with revisions by Alexander Payne and Jim Taylor, current revisions by Peter Buckman. It's fairly similar to the final product. And I feel like there are some strengths that the script has and there are some strengths that the final product has. And it's kind of an interesting mix where I don't think one is necessarily better than the other, but they both have such interesting concepts that are just fascinating. And I think the movie would have benefited from some of these character moments that are in the script. It's it, maybe it didn't work in the edit or maybe it threw off the pace, but I don't know. Like it made me care for Paul and Amanda and yeah and even grant even more it kind of goes into uh, amanda playing tennis and paul secretly watched her play in the regionals and uh it's just little little things paul and amanda debate on how much time they want to you know spend with eric uh it's just little things that kind of add up in the end and they're not groundbreaking changes will not change the final product of the movie but they're little things that kind of make you care about the characters a little bit more but one of the first things that jumped out to me was um the acknowledgement that uh ellie and grant split up six years prior to the events of the film and on page nine specifically uh they share a moment that's kind of beautiful and i kind of wish that was in there where grant says something to the extent of uh I will always love you, Ellie, as they're leaving after their dinner. And as he pulls away, Ellie, like, you know, out of Grant's uh, vicinity to hear this, 
uh, reciprocates and says, I love you too. And I think that's just such a huge moment that would just highlight human complexity. And I think would have been such a moment for for the audience to kind of take in because in this script later on, on page, uh, I have it right in front of me, <laughs> on page uh, 64, uh, there's a moment where Amanda is, this is before they find Eric, is they're kind of in the tree trop, the tree tops. There we go. Um, yeah. Hiding from the raptors. This is before they know the eggs were stolen and the raptors are still stalking them. And Amanda is worrying about her son and she's kind of just having like this aside uh, saying that she knows he's out there. And Grant is fed up with all this and he's like look like your son is he doesn't say this verbatim but basically to the extent of like accept reality he's dead move on uh and amanda asks grant do you have kids and yeah. he doesn't answer and then she says uh something to the extent of uh then you have no idea what i'm going through or something like that like you have no you can't even imagine the situation i'm going through uh and I think that just highlights Grant's character and how complex it is that he couldn't commit to Ellie. He sees the love of his life move on. And now he's in this other situation where it's kind of a similar situation to the first film where he's, he's in this protector mode uh, and has to kind of you know, get, let that stone around his heart break a little bit. And I think that's one of the highlights that the script features. It's just his complex character. One of my favorite parts of the September 2000 script is the reveal of Eric. After the group escapes the lab and runs into the trees, the script has someone in a lab coat with the name tag of Borkman going to the vending machine and seeing the wrappers everywhere. But they don't show Eric's face. And he then actually finds the group in the trees. And he's very clearly traumatized. He tells his mom that Ben got hurt. It is very simple, yet easy to imagine. Because when Eric last saw his mom, she was dating Ben. So she clearly cared about him. And it's a logical thing to say the very first time he sees her. In the final film, we don't get that moment where Eric acknowledges Ben's death at all. We don't. And it's such an unfortunate casualty of the constant evolution of the script. But yeah, that would have just made the situation feel a lot more real. And just kind of connect the dots a lot more than the final product kind of has i'm not sure if they removed it because trevor morgan may have been you know too mature to pull it off because he kind of plays a little more infantile in the script but then, then again this poor kid was traumatized and he's going through something and i feel like if that was in the script it would have made the emotional beats of the movie way more powerful than they currently are tell us about the ending what are your thoughts yeah it goes from this uh right after the the spinosaur attacks the boat uh, and then from there, uh, while the Kirby's are kind of, you know, doing their family little group hug, Grant feels, according to the script, very uncomfortable. And he climbs to the top of a mountain or hill or something. And uh, he sees a boathouse in, 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 in the uh, kind of at the mouth of the river. Yeah. And uh, the characters head there uh, and they're kind of rummaging through supplies. They... Uh, come across something that we don't see and they all look at each other and do like a little smile which I find hilarious and uh, it kind of hard cuts to them on the ocean in this makeshift raft with a sail with a photo of John Hammond 
and underneath it it says welcome to jurassic park which i find hilarious and also crazy <laughs> the this ending is very short it's like three pages in total and i kind of feel because of what everyone in the production has said uh they just did not have an ending i feel like they wrote this very quickly just to have something which happens all the time in film production uh so i feel like what we're looking at is a probably the first draft of this ending uh where where uh the mammoth pteranodon is mentioned which is not in the final film but there there is a toy out there and a maquette out there where it's kind of like this gray body pteranodon with white stripes on its wings and an orange crest i feel like that was probably the mammoth pteranodon uh but as the kirbys are sailing away uh this gigantic pteranodon attacks them uh and just in the nick of time uh, it explodes into a million pieces, which I don't know if they would actually do that in the final product. But uh, it explodes, uh, only to reveal that like there's a military helicopter behind there that shot a rocket at it, and they're saved all of a sudden. And it's just kind of, it's it's very quick, and it just makes me think that they just kind of wrote this just to have something, and they were like, okay, we'll figure out the real ending later. Continued in part two.